Norwich City have parted ways with two title winners in two days. So we thought it was time to convene for a proper edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here alongside Connor Southwell and Paddy Dabbit. And we come to you still basking in the glory of England beating Germany 2-0. But there's bigger news. Mo Leitner disappeared out of the Carrow Road exit door on Tuesday, and that is due to be followed on Wednesday by Marco Stieferman as well. Two players who, of course, were massive parts of the 2018-19 title success. And Pad, um, if I come to you on this first, uh, as we record, we're just waiting for it to be officially confirmed. But as we understand it, Stieferman is following Leitner out the door. Similar situation, isn't it? Both ha- had 12 months remaining on their contract, so they've come to sort of a, a mutual agreement that it's best for a, for a parting of the ways. But um, I understand it from, from my sources that the main reason that Leitner and Stieferman wanted to leave is that they just couldn't face a dressing room of Jordan Hugill and Ben Gibson after the, uh, after the England game the other night. That might be the case, yeah. You might be right, Dave. I think... Uh... Well, I don't know about Leitner because he's probably not been anywhere near an orange dressing room in about a year and a half, hasn't he? So um, that was not unexpected, I think. Probably could have happened in a window before, really. Um, But ultimately, that one, I I don't think there'll be too many tears. Um, You saw the reaction. It was more a kind of, well, mate, you know, if you had the application to match your talent, then then maybe we'd have seen, you know, uh, an outstanding player because... uh, he has the technical uh, ability, um, but I did see something the other day that in 11-year professional career, he's played something like an 18-19 game average season. So it can't be just Norwich. It can't be just Dortmund or Augsburg or Lazio. Um, ultimately, it's more it's Leitner, I think, sadly. And, uh, you know, that man needs to realise he's got a very short career and he's uh, he's not maximising the talent he's been given. So, um We'll see what the future holds for him. As we understand it, there's no actual club in the pipeline yet. So, um, you know, he's he's probably got to knock the uh, promoting whatever product he's promoting on Instagram first and then uh, find himself a football club. And uh, and we'll see if the penny finally drops. But, you know, he's not a young man now. Uh, and really, I, 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 you know, there's it's quite an interesting dynamic where he ends up. Does he... As Mario Vrancic seemed to intimate, you know, England is is still where he wants to play his football, or is he now going to gravitate back towards Germany, Austria? Um, we'll, we'll we'll see, you know. Uh, but ultimately, that that is an episode that that was long since closed in terms of his uh, impact on Norwich City, um, and it was merely the the contractual side of it that meant he was hanging around the place. That's done and dusted. Marco Steepman, yep, you're right, Dave. Uh, as we record, it's not been confirmed. It will be confirmed, I'm sure, by the time this goes out. Um, and that one's a slightly different scenario it, on many levels. A, you know, is how he's probably viewed by Norwich fans uh, far more fondly, I think. Had a massive impact in the 18-19 title winning season under Farker. The double act with Timu Puki, I think that was one of the keys, actually, if you break down that season, that unexpected Premier League promotion. And sadly, since then, uh, it didn't quite work for him in the Premier League. It looked, looked a step too far in terms of the footballing aspect. And then he's been very, very unlucky with, you know, first he was diagnosed with coronavirus, start a project restart. Um, and then obviously last season, second part of it was pretty much a write-off. He had what was eventually diagnosed as Epstein-Barr. Sorry, Epstein Barr virus. Uh, he was th- he was out for three months. Came back and a couple of cameos off the bench, but time had moved on. By then, Kieran Dowell is is the the inheritor of the attacking role in the number ten shirt. 
Um, whether they go and add now, time will tell. But certainly, I think from what we're led to believe, it was fairly amicable. Um, Marco probably after the you know the episodes he's had out wants to just go in and enjoy his football. And if that's at a lower level, um, from what we're led to believe, he probably wants to go back to Germany. He's got a young family now. You know, maybe that's a factor, but um, hasn't got a club lined up. It won't be in England. Uh, and I'm sure, uh, without wanting to prejudge Norwich fans and, and the fan wider fan population, I'd imagine he'll go with a lot of good wishes because uh, he had a very positive impact in, on his time at Norwich. And, OK, the last two seasons, it was a bit more of a bit part role, but and maybe Liner as well. You know, the 18-19 season, their place is, is assured. But uh, I think it's safe to say if you draw the two strings together, one goes with not a lot of fanfare. One will go with a bit more. Sorry to see you go, Marco. But, you know, the wheel has to turn. Weber has sp- spoken openly about this summer is about maybe reducing the numbers, but trying to up the quality level. And um, and these elements are all part of the same jigsaw as why we've brought in Rashita, why Angus Gunn has come, why Billy Gilmore is going to come by the back end of the week. It's about reshaping a squad that is fit for purpose in the Premier League and, I don't think any Norwich fan putting the emotion aside with Marcus Steeperman would argue that Steeperman and Lightner moving on is going to materially impact Norwich in the Premier League. Yeah, it's been a busy odd week, to be fair. And I, I didn't mean to say at the top of the show, really, that we've brought you various bits of video and audio in the last uh, week about the arrival of Milo Rashica, Angus Gunn, uh, Lotus being unveiled. Um, as the shirt sponsor on Friday, various transfer rumours. So we won't get too deep into the transfer rumours. Uh, that The best slot for that is Window Watch, 1pm on Friday. Uh, we put that out in the Pink and Audio feed as well, but um, we won't go too deep into uh, into the rumours. But Connor, yeah, how, how much did you enjoy the uh, the England performance on uh, on Tuesday night? And then, uh, yeah, we followed up by this news of, of Marco Stiefman, who I, I think it's fair to say is... Um, sort of developed, maybe just for that one season, but a cult status almost. He was a bit of a cult hero, wasn't he? The the celebrations and it, just on the pitch, he of course had, uh, well, it was the best season of his career really, wasn't it? Yeah, well, f- well firstly on England, that was a, a lovely, pleasant surprise. Um, I, I think anyone that, that knows it, England, Germany across the years probably wasn't anticipating that. Um, obviously, <laughs> I won't go too deep into it, but I, I know that um, there are a lot of people maybe midway through the half, half sort of second half looking at Gareth Southgate and saying maybe he's not approached this right or needs to tweak this and that. But I think he's, he's probably justified in everything that he did really in terms of his approach. But, you know, that's probably for another day. Um, in, in terms of, of Steeperman, yeah, just this really sort of, he was, was an enigma really, wasn't he? In terms of yeah. that number 10 player, really um, tall and, and lanky in a sense, quite awkward the way he, he operated at times, but really effective and, and it was almost... Um, I don't want to say the reason Team Mipuki was so good, but certainly played a part in that first season in the Championship where he would essentially offer the physicality and then enable Team Mipuki to go and play on the shoulder and really go and torment defenders. So a really pivotal part in that. Scored some wonderful goals, a brilliant character, as I'm sure we'll get on to, and just someone that I think certainly in the early years of what Daniel Fark was trying to do, really helped push that forward. And um, yeah, someone that I think Norwich fans will, will have a real fond memory of. Of course, that stint at left back as well. So um, it's, it's been an interesting Norwich City journey for him. And, and once it did reach the Premier League, I think it was probably quite clear that perhaps he wouldn't impact that level in the same way that he did the Championship. Although played in that game against Manchester City and did a pretty effective job at, at stopping them from, from playing out of the back. So his role changed in, in that regard. But just a, a really interesting player. Certainly, I've never seen a player like him 
in a Norwich City shirt in terms of the way he played and the position he played and how he played it as well. I think when you think of those kind of number 10s, you think of Wes Houlihan or Emi Buendia, these sort of five foot seven, five foot five players that just technically are superb and can almost drift past players. And he wasn't really that. He was um, obviously taller than, than six foot and, and used his kind of size and his technical ability in a real different way to those guys. So really enjoyable to watch, provided some brilliant moments, had a, had a really good sort of partnership with, with Timu Puki. And yeah, I think, I think Paddy's right in everything that he said, really. Probably the right time in terms of the circumstances, both for him and perhaps where he is in his own life, but equally for Norwich. And I mean, the, the options that we mentioned, Kieran Dow, Todd Campwell, now Rashid Sarah as well. I, I think that's going to look a tall order in terms of him getting regular minutes in the Premier League. So probably the right time for both parties. And um, I think he'll be remembered really fondly for, for his contribution at the club. Yeah, enigma is the word I used in uh, in one of the articles I've written about sort of looking back at his time, which of course you can you can see at pinkin.com. And he, uh, yeah, that first season left back was because Jamal Lewis got injured, wasn't it? And then James' husband didn't really impress. And once Lewis came back in, then uh, he basically missed the second half of that season. But during 2018-19, he, he was so unorthodox and he almost bundled his way through. But he scored some cracking goals as well. I mean. The uh, promotion game against Blackburn, he scored the uh, first goal before Vrancic sort of took centre stage, didn't he? Um, the one at Bristol City, the, the sort of curler from the, the right wing, which was 25, 30 yards, that was definitely up there with goal of the season contender that year, wasn't it? So um, a, a cracking season. But the one thing we could say, Pad, really about that Premier League season, and yeah, like say, when after the restart, he had that positive coronavirus um, test and then he, he he missed the first game, didn't he? The Southampton game. He he, he actually tested negative twice pretty quickly afterwards, didn't he? he? He wasn't ill or anything, and it just meant that he missed the first game. And then he was only on the bench for the second game, so it was a bit of misfortune for him, really. And then again this season, misfortune with the illness and stuff. So as you said earlier, I don't think any Norwich fans will particularly be quibbling over the fact that he's going, similar to Tete and Brancic at the end of last season and stuff. But the one thing we can say looking back on 2019-20 is that Farker did give him a good go in the Premier League. He started 10 of the first 12 games. I remember at Liverpool, he missed a big chance near that night when Norwich looked good going forward. But it's not like they got promoted and then he didn't have a chance to keep hold of that shirt. No, and on a broader point, you look at that summer from winning promotion to going into the Premier League. The amount, I think he was one actually, I'll have to double check, but the amount of that squad who got new deals, new improved deals is yeah. a reward. And it wasn't just a financial remuneration. It was, you'll get a chance now to show us you can step up. And some did, uh, you know, off the top of my head, you'd say sort of Max Aaron's proved he could operate in the Premier League, can't well to an extent. Uh, maybe even Kenny McLean, you might dispute that, but Farker called him indispensable and he played a lot more games than Marco did. Certainly a lot more minutes in the Premier League that season. But sadly, Marco was one who didn't. And ultimately, the decision was made because they went in the middle of that season, uh, the January window, uh, to back to Germany and brought in Andre Duda, who, uh, who didn't set the world alight, it's safe to say, um, but was ultimately a recognition that Marco, in the eyes of Daniel and Stuart, wasn't really going to be the the, we the weaponry that they needed in the Premier League to sort of step up as Timu did. Another one who, who made it that transition far easier than Marco seemed to do. And I think Connor's point is a valid one. You know, the, the attributes that made him stand out in a bit, a bit more of a robust environment that is the championship and the physicality and just that it's almost the endurance, the, the, the physical grind of going every two or three days that maybe he was better suited to, I think, in the less 
demanding physically, but far more technically environment that is the Premier League. Um, he was found wanting, really, and uh, and he was too predictable and too easy to play against. And and maybe you know as well, you know, if you got him in a quiet moment, maybe he he realised that as well. I'm sure players they don't need telling; they they know where their levels are in a playing career, and and, and maybe he felt the Premier League was was beyond him. And, and obviously going back into the Premier League, that's I'm sure factored into his decision. Uh, quite aside from those long periods where through illness, through no fault of his own, he's, he's been on the sidelines for the last two seasons. Football moves on quickly. And yeah. as I say, 18-19, he's an absolutely integral part of that season and uh, deserved his chance in the Premier League. But sadly, uh, he, he wasn't really up to the task. So, you know, while, while there is an emotional attachment that the fans will have to the, the news and there'll be a lot of sadness on a personal level, I don't think anybody... Uh, to repeat what I said earlier, on a footballing level, would say Farker and Weber have got this wrong. In the same way for me that the Vrancic and Tete, they're the right calls as well. To offer them new deals uh, would be a sentimental gesture, and that's not really what Farker and certainly Weber dealing at the moment. You know, it's about hard-headed pragmatism, and can that squad, to a man, all step up and influence a very more positive outcome in the Premier League for Norwich than two seasons ago? So, yeah, it's. Uh, it's just natural evolution and, and the natural shedding of, of players, really, uh, with the aim, hopefully, of pushing Norwich forward. And uh, for me now, it's an, it's an interesting one. I've been thinking about this since since we got the, the confirmation Marco was going. On the back of Emmy going, yes, Rashid's has come in, but you start to think now they probably do need to do another one on top of what they were maybe looking to do at the top end of the pitch. I just, just feel... You know, if if there's question marks against Arnell and Poeta and whether they're going to be here, Josh Martin, I think, is one they'll go out and get get loan football, so he's not going to be an option. Yes, I understand the process Stuart has talked about to us at the start of the summer about thinning the squad out, but you can pair it back too far, in my opinion, and they're going to need some bodies in that area of the pitch as well as having quality operators. So maybe it's maybe it's a little signal as well, Marco, going and, and the willingness to let him go that. They're now thinking that they probably need to maybe go back into the market and do a little bit in that area because I don't think you can, for me, just go into a season in the Premier League with Rashica, Dowell and possibly Todd Cantwell in, the, in that central attacking role behind Timu Puki. I think that would be a little bit too much of a gamble. So I'm, I'm more interested now to see what this means in terms of Norwich and the end of the window in those attacking areas. Yeah, we'll come back around to that in just a minute. And Billy Gilmore, who I'm sure you're all expecting us to be talking about as well. But let's just finish a, a bit on Leitner, um, Connor, because it should be remembered, although he, he missed quite a lot of the second half of 2018-19 with an injury as well. The first half of that season, I thought he was one of the best players and was exceptional in, in playing a part in Norwich getting to the top of the table. And some of the, the one that always sticks in my mind was the Swansea game, 4-1 away when he was really really good and he was just the heartbeat of the team it felt like you had a supply line which ran through the team right through the middle Krull, Closer, Leitner, Steepman, Pookie and then obviously some some good players around about it as well Buendia and, and Aaron's on the right and things like that but that had to be sorted that situation that had dragged on for far too long hadn't it and it's good to see and hopefully we'll probably see something similar they've already dealt with Heiser's situation. You've got Tribal, Dermich closer as well, potentially in the background in similar situations. But it's good to see that they've proactively got this sorted early in the summer. It will have been a financial agreement as well. That is what a mutual agreement is, isn't it? He's got 12 months left on his contract. They basically come to a financial 
uh, agreement as well, where they found a middle ground so that they can both move in their separate directions. But he, he was a very good player. And it, it, I think there was a, quite a strong theme of disappointment as to how his career actually ended up being with Norwich. Yeah, it's, it's a sad end, isn't it? And, and as Pad said, this is this is a, a guy who's been on the bench in a Champions League final. It's mm. it, Whenever you watched him play, it clearly had quality. I remember the first time he, he came on for Norwich as, as a late sub and the first thing he did was played almost a 40-yard to diagonal pass straight to mm. the feet of a fullback. And it was like, hello, yeah, this is a player here. And that's why there was such a clamour for him to arrive on a permanent basis once that loan deal ended. And, and, and that's why it happened. And when he turned up and he was on it, he was, he was exceptional. And um, the game you referenced there, Swansea, brilliant. Just whenever he turned up, seemed like he could control the pace of games. There was a, a similar game against Newcastle in the Premier League where Timo Pukki scored a hat-trick, but Leitner was very good that day as well. And that's kind of, I guess, the, the disappointment, the fact that this isn't really about quality. It's clearly about something else. And I think that's the major frustration. And, and Pad mentioned that statistic earlier about the, the sort of average amount of games that he's played per season. And that kind of sums it up for me. And it's a real... It's a real shame. It's a real waste of talent. Um, and you just hope now that he's going to go somewhere where he can fulfil that and maybe settle down and, and start to play football again because he's too good of a player not to be playing football. And I, and I think this is probably the wider point. And that is where I think a lot of Norwich fans have this frustration because when he when he did play, he was, he was really good, really good. And um, the fact that he isn't is not just um, upsetting for him. I think it's upsetting for, for people who... who should be able to watch him play. And um, and yeah, it's disappointing in that regard. But equally, if, if you're a championship side now, and you're, I know Marco Siefman, is, as Pad has said, maybe looking at a German return, but if you're looking at the three you could potentially have on, on free transfers this summer of Siefman, Rancic and, and Leitner, I'm sure for a lot of championship clubs, that would be very appealing. Um, of course, once you dig into the character references, particularly of Leitner, I suppose, whether that becomes as appealing, I'm not sure. But this is this is kind of the talent that now Norwich are, are expending with. I think we saw last time when they came up, they renewed a lot of contracts and this this time they're kind of going in the opposite direction. So there is definitely a marked shift in approach. Uh, as you said, Dave, something that needed to be sorted for a while because it does nobody any good for him to be sitting around, not even training, not even in Norfolk, not even in Norwich. Um, that's that's one thing, but to have them kind of on the payroll and sitting in the background is is not good for anyone. So the right again similar to Steepman the, the right kind of way to to end it i suppose but there'll be probably a lot more disappointment maybe than than well wishes there will be for marco Steepman, i think so maybe contrasting exits in that regard yeah I, it's an interesting point on championship clubs it will be interesting to see where they end up because them having settled status in terms of post a post brexit world makes them slightly um, valued commodities more than they might have been because it's more difficult to go and get a player from the Bundesliga 2 now, isn't it? I think Barnsley have just appointed another German manager, haven't they? So whether that brings a change in style, but Leitner, I mean, Scott Parker's just gone to Bournemouth. I think he'd be a, a good signing for them potentially. So yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting to see where they uh, where they pitch up next. Um, I did just, I meant to mention as well last week, um, oh yeah, Nealand, his exit was confirmed after Angus Gunn's arrival was confirmed. So he's he's out of the picture as well. Sounds like he might be joining Hamburg, which is Bundesliga 2. So, right, let's bring it round to Billy Gilmore, Pad, which is the one which has got everyone excited. And there's quite often a lot of hype about a signing, but you just can't move for hype <laughs> with Gilmore. There's just so much of it. Whoever you can think of seems to have at some point said how amazing this lad is going to be, whether it's Graham Souness, Frank Lampard, obviously. Um, we've had um, 
Malky Mackay this week. He's, he seems to have been his sort of um, PR agent for most of his career, constantly bigging him up. Every, everybody connected to, to Scottish football has had their say. Pat Nevin, Charlie Adam, everyone seems to think that he's in the next big thing. So now it's just about getting the deal over the over the line, isn't it? And it looks like later this week, um, Norwich fans will be able to start looking forward properly to him being a Norwich City player. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, barring a very, very last-minute hitch, that that deal is done. So only been held up really because of for anybody who's been unaware, he sadly had to self-isolate, um, contracted COVID at the Euros, missed uh, Scotland's final group game. After, uh, let's be honest, the headline-grabbing display at Wembley in that nil-nil England draw, um, where you know against, and we saw it, you know, twenty-four hours ago, excellent operators like Calvin Phillips and. Uh, Declan Rice, he was uh, he was the boss in there, and uh, at twenty, it's uh, that's why there's so much hype about him. That on the biggest of stages, um, he wasn't daunted, and in fact, he stuck his chest out and said, "I'm going to show you I'm the best player in the middle of the park here." So, quite right to be very excited if you're an Orange fan. Um, there's a lot of lot of Oliver Skip about this for me, you know. Albeit he's a, probably you'd say a little bit further along, both for club and country. Ollie Skip obviously hadn't played for for his country uh, when he came to Norwich. Um, Gilmore probably has slightly a little bit more Premier League experience, although he had a, an injury which kept him out for a large chunk last season. So there's no doubt this could be a game changer for Norwich in terms of if the lad is able to come in and rather than be, as he is at Chelsea at the minute, uh, an option that Tuchel can use as and when from the bench, play him in the odd game, dip him back out. He's a young player. You know, consistency is the is the issue, and it was the question asked of Skip when he first came in. And let's be honest, that first month or so in the Championship, he was a little bit up and down. Uh, there was a bad error, I recall, in the first home game against Preston, uh, and that was the question mark that the pedigree wasn't in doubt. But could for such a young man, could he add that consistency to his game? And boy, and boy, did he do that! By the end of the season, nobody was saying, you know, this guy looks uh, a little bit like uh, he's got a bit bit more to, to learn about the game, man. And you hope that's where Gilmore is by the end of the season that we're talking about. What an unbelievable piece of business that was by Norwich. Because if he is able to control... Now, obviously, you know Norwich with Billy Gilmore or without Billy Gilmore are going to find it very hard against the majority of the sides in the Premier League to control games, to control the tempo, to, to di- dictate how these games play out in the Premier League. But if he's able to do that on a, a to a degree where Norwich can in enough of the games do that, then if the other boys chip in as well, it could be the it really could be the difference. I don't want to say him alone will will decide whether Norwich stay up or not, but as was proven, and we talked a lot about Leitner in this chat, and you throw in Tom Tribal, and last time in the Premier League, those two didn't cut the mustard, and hence why they were deemed surplus to requirements when they got relegated. Norwich felt in the centre of the park, last time in the Premier League, under Farker, over the piece, they were found wanting. They didn't have the right mix of technical ability, but also the physicality. You know, they lurched from tribal Leitner at the start to essentially McLean and, and Tete, two very different pairs of centre midfielders. Uh, and it didn't work ultimately, you know, too often in games. They, they were all over the shop. The, the, the gaps between the back four and the attacking TV Pookie were, were vast and and they got picked off far too often at Premier League level two seasons ago. So that's why they've gone for this guy, that he can come in and even at his tender age and relative lack of experience, show enough to be able to give Norwich a degree of control that they're going to need at Premier League level. And, uh, you know, they've beaten off a lot of interest, I'm sure, and probably even more post-Wembley. I mean, I was led to be prior to the England game, Norwich were very confident it was a done deal. Obviously, after what he did at Wembley, there was 
you know, Wolves were linked with him. I thought saw Southampton, his old club Rangers. Um, but Norwich obviously have still managed to, uh, you know, get the elbows out and uh, and play, I'm sure, on the Farker-Tuchel relationship. That's probably a big factor in this, no doubt. Um, because ultimately, if you're Thomas Tuchel, his duty of care is to get Billy Gilmore sufficient games at Premier League level so that he can come back to Chelsea in 12 months' time and be an actual starter for them, um, which he isn't going to be at the moment. So, for all parties, it looks like a win-win. But, um, you know, let's not let's not get overcarried away and say this guy alone is going to keep Norwich up. But I think their chances are dramatically improved because it's it's a signal of the quality of player that Norwich are t- trying to attract in this window. Rashica seems to be a, a similarly precocious talent from what we can find out, what we've spoken to, the people who followed his career, uh, club and country. Um, they're trying to do the same in, in the central defensive areas. You know, there's no doubt about it. They feel the key to staying up is to raise the quality threshold. And boy, oh boy, are they going to do it with this lad? Absolutely. And I don't think anyone can accuse them of lacking ambition in, in signing a player like Gilmore as well because of this profile. I mean, even Roy Keane's praised him. <laughs> I mean, if you can get that, then um, you, you must be half decent. And when you look at some of his supercuts on YouTube and, and just the way he broke through, like with Scotland, he was playing for their under-21s at 16-17, wasn't he? And he won revelation of the tournament at the Toulon tournament, which is obviously sort of the the main prestigious youth tournament, really, isn't it? And and that sort of award or those kind of awards at that tournament have been won by some very big names over the years. So, Connor, what do we think this means for the squad in, in terms of skip, I suppose? I mean, Personally, it would seem to me that you still want at least one more before you even worry about Skip. And if you get Skip back, great. But this would hopefully put them in a position where they're they're ready to deal with a world without Skip. But he does seem a different player to Skip as well. He's not quite as defensively minded, is he? He, he really does like to run and glide with the ball. And, and, and it's, he's just got loads of energy, isn't he? Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him in, in the Skip bracket at all, to be honest. Um, I, I think he's a different sort of player. Uh, I, th- I guess the easy thing to do, I, th- I think when, when he does get unveiled, people will look at his size and go, well, he's what, five foot six or something. Well, he's not going to be able to head or tackle or whatever. I, and I don't think that's particularly right. I mean, he's, he's tidy in the press, uh, sort of in, uh, in in possession. Sorry, he's he's very good um, under, under pressure. Certainly the clips I've seen in terms of when teams are pressing, he has the composure and awareness to play with limited touches and play around that, which is probably going to be fairly important in games where Norwich are going to find themselves in their own half a lot of the time. Um, and I just think he, for, for the reasons that kind of Pad has outlined, I think it, it ticks a lot of boxes because he's, he's going to play probably realistically 36 games for Norwich next year, obviously minus the two that he, he's not going to play against Chelsea. So um, for, for a lot of reasons in terms of how Daniel Farker sees the game, in terms of how Ollie Skip progressed, I think it makes a lot of sense. But you're right, I think there is probably a wider question about Norwich City's midfield dynamic and increasingly it feels to me like we're going to see probably a change of, of approach where maybe they squander possession to an extent and, and look to maybe break on the counter. I'm beginning to formulate in my head a plan where, um, and I don't know if there's any sort of substance behind this or it's just me thinking, but Rashica is a different sort of player to I mean Buendia. I think for, for all the talk that he's going to get labelled as a Buendia replacement, I don't think he's, he's someone that's going to drop and look to cr- sort of can create things from deep. I think he's going to be someone who wants to get in behind, is direct, and that sort of lends itself for someone who's going to be driving at players and someone who's going to have space to drive into. And uh, I think Gilmore is probably another who ticks this box, someone who is pretty progressive in the way they play in, in terms of how they pass, someone who can play through 
presses fairly well. I, th- I think in, in that regard, two sort of tick boxes to that. And, and I just wonder whether, I mean, we were kind of talking about wingers earlier. I, I just wonder whether they'll begin to see Campwell as a number 10 option. And then you've got almost a Dowell-Campwell competition with a fresh winger on the other side who maybe has a bit more pace about them. That's the kind of way I wonder if they're beginning to think about things and structure things a little bit. And Gilmore would lend into that. I'm not quite sure into the whether he fits alongside McLean. I think I would have concerns about Norwich City's defensive edge if that was the the two. Whether he's in competing with McLean, which I think is is maybe a different argument. Still feel. I mean, we're talking about profile of midfielders. I still think they need a real physical competitor. And I guess we've seen the links with with Philip Billing. Uh, maybe not completely combative in that sense but certainly would offer a physical presence in terms of size and uh, and power um i just think they need one more of those and then of course you've got the ollie skip stuff bubbling in the background which of course would be a kind of the, the cherry on top if they could do so i think this is a more interesting midfield mix once you throw gilmore into it and maybe the options that that that, that allows norwich um i was kind of i was watching him speak earlier actually on an interview he did where he said he doesn't mind kind of playing in any role in midfield um whatever's asked of him so that versatility I think is going to be useful if he does combine certainly in sort of the small appearances that we've seen with Chelsea in Scotland that kind of I don't want to say combative because that's probably a bit too strong but certainly a willingness to roll the sleeves up with the technical ability that we've seen then I think this could be quite an exciting one but how it pairs and sort of balances with Norwich City's other midfield options I think that that's probably remains to be seen it's gonna be fascinating to see how Daniel Farker approaches it in pre-season for me. If they did end up signing Billing and they played him next to Gilmore, that would be a proper little and large <laughs> combination, wouldn't it? It'd be like Ewan and Bellamy <laughs> in the late 90s. I used a photo on one of our stories of a day of uh, Tuchel uh, congratulating him at the end of the game. And he's a, he's a big guy, isn't he? <laughs> he looked like he was congratulating a child <laughs> in the photo because Gilmore was so much smaller than him. Um, that seems a good point, Pad, to bring in. Uh, the link that we heard this week, Thomas Delaney at, at, at Dortmund, you've written a bit about this, haven't you? So um, just sort of catches up on that. But I, I think from what we've just discussed there, in, in my head, it feels like, um, OK, maybe if if billing was one that could happen, you know, if Bournemouth needs to generate a bit of money and, and Parker's not desperate to keep him or he's desperate to leave, he seems like someone to me there where Farker could take him on a level, could finish off his development almost, because he's felt to me like a player who's, sort of caught between what is he? Is he a proper defensive midfielder or is he somebody who's uh, sort of more of a box-to-box? I think Farker could really take him on a level, but let's park him for for the second. It, it feels like you need some physical experience in that mix and, and Thomas Delaney could represent that, although it doesn't sound like it, 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 there's too much in it, does it? I think I think it, it increasingly felt like it, it's a guy who's 12 months out and maybe people close to him are looking at the Premier League riches on offer and then it's, right, Okay, which of those clubs in the Premier League are looking for a Thomas Delaney type of player? I think there was more to it than that. even said in the reports out in Germany that given his involvement in the Euros with Denmark, they're through to the quarterfinals. He started every game for them at the tournament. That's how important he is for them, that that nothing can materially happen. There's no approaches can be made. And then as a result, uh, I think it's more Norwich's name has been added to a list rather than, Thomas Delaney is ahead of Norwich's list. Um, I think Billing is certainly on that list. Um, but it does it does beg the question, to take Connor's last point, about they probably having let Tete go. And, and you know, if McLean isn't going to be used in quite the same way he has been previously, they they are going to, if it's just Gilmore in there, then you, can, you are going to need some sort of physicality. And, and again, that was one of the lessons they took away from the last Premier League season. They didn't have... 
the athleticism, the power and the physicality that was required across the entire squad, which is why McLean was singled out because he, Farker, in his view, had, had that element to his midfield mix. So I, I don't think we'll be seeing Thomas Delaney because I think the finances around that would make, make it very difficult. And, and ultimately, if Denmark are going deep in this competition and he's playing a leading role... Uh, you can be sure that there'll be other clubs start to have a look at him as well and maybe weigh him up as a potential option for them in the window. So, and we don't know what the situation with Dortmund, you know, there, there may be talks ongoing. This might be a tactic um, to pressure Dortmund to, you know, into if he's only got 12 months left, it might be designed to twist Dortmund's arm to a degree. You never quite know the, the inner workings of these things, but um, I don't think he'll be arriving at Cow Road, but somebody of that ilk, I mean, the interesting part for me with the Delaney thing was was the age, really, and the profile, because that does slightly veer away from this perception that Norwich are only going to bring in young players with resale value. Um, I, I personally, that's what my piece was about. That, that If you look really over the entire piece of Norwich and the Farquhar and Webber, that isn't the case, to, to completely label them as a, as a club who go into the market looking for resale value uh, and youth. Yes, probably... Push the shove, they'd want to do that because that's the model in terms of the self-sufficiency and the finances that are involved. But Ben Gibson, uh, we're recording this on, on Wednesday afternoon. Ben Gibson will be officially uh, a Norwich player from 30 onwards. That That's an £8 million outlay on a 28-year-old. Um, I don't think there's too much resale value on that man, to be fair. So Jordan Hugel, uh, another one, late 20s, two Grant points. Hanley. Say again? Grant Hanley. Grant Han- well, if you want to go further back, then yeah. So... Um, for me, it's it's a bit more nuanced than that, it, it, and so I wouldn't strike a line through any links to players in their later twenties. But um, I, I just think you're probably setting the bar too high at the minute for a guy who was playing in the Champions League quarterfinal and is now involved with the the, the latter end of the European Championship. So you know, there's been in numerous central midfielders they've been linked with, but uh, I think from what we're led to believe, Billing is probably pretty close to the top of that list if they could do him. For the reasons of what you stated, David, he's he's got the raw material to be moulded by a coach who's as astute as Farker. We look how he reinvented Ben Godfrey to a degree, and look at him now. He's uh, not not only is he playing at the top end of the Premier League for Everton, he's he's on the fringes of the England squad, and, and it was Farker who spotted that potential. Um, so if he if they've seen something in Billing, then uh, and the finances could be put around that deal to make it viable, then you know I think he's. He's the sort of player they'd like to bring in um, for all the reasons we've stated. But, you know, ultimately, uh, I, th- I think, you know, that for me, if I look at all areas of the squad, I think that is the key really to, to Norwich, A, being far more competitive than they were two seasons ago and B, hopefully having enough about them to actually stay up. It, it's that central midfield area because in the Premier League, whether you're a possession-based team or as Connor's maybe alluding to, maybe you tilt a bit more to the counter-attacking side, you need to be, good in that area of the pitch because if you don't you're never going to have enough control in games in the Premier League level and the quality of the players you're coming up against and the teams and the coaches and the tactical approaches um, you're always going to be on the back foot so getting it right for me this summer in the central midfield areas I think will hold the key to whether Norwich stay up or not Right, let's move on because we've got some questions that we came in on Twitter as well. But I did just want to mention Grant Hanley. He That was last week as well, wasn't it? He limped off uh, in Scotland's final game as they ended up going out of the Euros. Uh, hamstring injury, looking at about four to five weeks. So he would have been 
uh, resting for two or three weeks anyway would have made a belated start to pre-season. But um, sounds like that's not a reoccurrence of the hamstring injury, which needed surgery previously. So not as bad as first feared. It's probably going to disrupt his pre-season a little bit, but, you know, all being well, hopefully he'll be okay for the start of the season and will take a, a decent part in pre-season. And one of the questions was from at Matthew NCFC, who asks about uh, Ben Gibson's recovery. Similarly, we've seen a, a few bits and pieces from from Ben on Insta, haven't we? Um, he, he looks to be progressing pretty well after that ankle surgery, which was before the season had even finished. So um, fingers crossed. OK, maybe um, they might have a bit of a belated start to the season like Pookie's going to, obviously, after he's been so busy and, and, and had his injury problems. Um, but hopefully those three in particular will will get a good chunk of preseason and be okay by the time we're uh, preparing for that Liverpool game. Uh, Connor, if I put this one to you from Darren Clark, do we expect any of the players that were out on loan last season to be kept with the first team squad this season? So I guess he's talking Famawo, McCallum, those sort of players. No, I don't think so. I, th- I think, the, the again, the, the kind of step up to the Premier League makes that a lot a lot well difficult doesn't it in some regard because you look at Fumewa who started off pretty well at Charlton in League One then sort of injuries and form and a change of manager happen and that doesn't look as positive as maybe it did um, sort of at the, at the start of the season that then makes it difficult for them to be reintroduced into a side that as, as Paddy has mapped out is hoping to stay up in the Premier League with a streamlined squad so no I, I wouldn't expect any of those who have been out on loan to, to come back obviously we, we had the story didn't we that those guys will be working with Andy Hughes, um, who's who's going to come in for, for pre-season and do a bit of coaching, which, um, you know, maybe there's no coincidence behind why a couple of players have decided to uh, to, to leave the club before they face him. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, he's, he's, he worked at Huddersfield, didn't he? Fairly close relationship with, with Stuart Webber. And he's going to be looking after that group of players who maybe aren't in the first team squad who have been out on loan. So, um so, yeah, as things stand, unless something dramatic changes and maybe there's a few injuries in central defence or, or whatever, then I, I think those who are out on loan will probably be looking for either permanent exits away or a, a similar agreement for this season. Yeah, Andy Hughes was, OK, he didn't have the ability that maybe his mind thought he had. And I think he openly admitted that in the, we had, he was one of our minority City stories, wasn't he? That he never reached the levels of ability that Norwich needed at the time. But one thing he always was, was fit as a fiddle. And he always demanded a lot as well, which is why Worthington made him a, a captain for, for a while, wasn't it? So yeah, coming in on a temporary basis, I'm sure he could be a, uh, a tough taskmaster in terms of the pre-season running. Uh, I wouldn't uh, necessarily relish that. Uh, Pat, a, a financial one um, here, um, Adrian Simmons, who did ask about Delaney, so I won't ask that part. But do you consider the transfers of Yanulis and Gibson to come out of this summer's budget, or were those fees allocated from the sales of Lewis and Godfrey? I, I think we were of the thinking that they will have to come from sort of the Premier League pot, won't they? They probably wouldn't have had the money there for to consider that sort of uh, outlay from the Championship budget. Yeah, I mean, obviously these things roll on pretty concurrently. Um... And I think underpinning any question about the finances is the the, the COVID hole, which you know Ben Ben Kensel's in the final day or two of his of his tenure as chief operating officer. But um, spoke to him not more than two two weeks ago, and and he said that figure is now approaching thirty million. That the 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 hit to the principally match day revenue from no no supporters, no twenty two thousand plus season ticket holders for. A full season and uh, the project restart period at the back end of that Premier League season. So 
I think that that is sucking a, a lot of the the, the Gibbs, uh, sorry, the Jamal Ben Godfrey uh, money um, that they would have obviously banked for those two, and 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 probably even to a degree uh, some of the Buendia money, I'm sure uh, as well. So, I, I from my understanding was that no, that the 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 Gibson and your new your new list deals, the finance for those are not part of this summer's spend. So it's not Norwich are hoping to spend, we'll say, ballpark figure 30 million, but they've already splurged 15 of that on those two. Those two deals in terms of whatever they do this summer are separate too. So I think the finances for those two were were, were probably tied up with the, the Godfrey and the Jamal payments. Um, and obviously, you know, now they're in the Premier League as well, then you get the uplift in broadcast revenue uh, as well. So, but, it, but it's very hard to definitively say that pot of money is from that 12-month financial period and that is from that. Um, because of the nature of these deals, they they get put together and it's structured payments and structured down payments. So um, I think all we can say definitively is that the money that uh, it's cost to bring in Yanoulis and Gibson was was in the building prior to the end of the summer, uh, the end of the season, sorry, and, and then the access to the Premier League revenue. The Premier League revenue is now slash Wendy of finance is now what's going to be moving forward. A, the, the transfer window, this window and future windows, but also B, plugging that ongoing 30 million gap, which until, you know, till Boris and his pals uh, say it's uh, it's feasible, um, Norwich aren't come Liverpool on the opening weekend of the, the Premier League season. Although they've budgeted for a full house, they might still be in a situation where it's partful, you know, whether that's 25%, 50%. Uh, and if so, that hole, albeit maybe not as big, will, will continue to grow. So um, so that has to be at the back of your mind as well, if you're Stuart Webber and, and the, the recruitment guys, that they still don't know definitively that they can rely on all that match day revenue, which they would do from a full house, which of course they'd get in the Premier League every single game at home. So, um, so that has to be a factor in terms of maybe just holding them back a touch. But um, I think the reality is, from here, you know, we'll say Rashid uh, was just underneath a club record. You know, Angus Gurn we're saying two, two and a half. Let's say they've done in the region of ten or eleven million so far. I think they'd look to probably do another. Well, if they want a centre back and, and they want a centre mid, um, you're probably talking that figure again times two. So I think that, that in an ideal scenario, they're getting up around 30 million. Um, and then obviously, if hypothetically a Max Aarons moves on, it might change again. So that's why it's, it's hard to definitively say anything regarding this window and the finances propelling what they're doing in this window because it is such a, an evolving situation with, as I say, that backstop of that ever-expanding COVID hole. But the one thing we could say is that they wouldn't have been making those signings without promotion anyway, would they? Because the deals, the permanent deals were done with promotion in mind. And you knew this was January as well, wasn't it? So they that was coloured slightly differently to Gibson, wasn't it? They knew that they were on the verge of promotion if they could seal the job at that point. So, um, yeah, we're, we'll see. I mean, the finances, I think, will be at some point in the next couple of months. It's difficult to say at the moment with... You know the financial impacts of the the pandemic and stuff. Accounts have sort of been a, a little bit diff, different in the last year as to when they've been announced. But um, we might find out um, a bit more of a specific answer to that when the accounts um, for the last financial year are actually published. And um, you pretty much just answered one of the questions that was about to come, Pad. So I'll bounce this one to you, Connor. Um, finally, from Carl Damarell who says, uh, do you think there will be many other outgoings other than the obvious, brackets, tribal, Dermich closer, 
had one gone already in Leitner. So I think we sort of hinted at a few earlier in the pod, haven't we? But specifically, I suppose he, he's looking for for names that we should be watching out who, who might be on their way as well. I think in terms of first team options, I, I think unless something pops up that catches us all out, I think obviously beyond the major two, which are Aarons and, and Campwell, I don't see. I think I don't see too much. I think as Pad kind of outlined, it'll be about trimming the squad and and maybe reducing the numbers in terms of those who are on the fringes. So uh, Hernandez, um, players like that who who maybe the pathway to first team football consistently is a little bit blocked at the moment. If something emerged that was plausible or, or credible for all parties, I think it's something they look at. But um, I, I'm not sure in terms of first team options that anyone needs to be sort of concerned that that championship team is, is going to be decimated or anything like that. I think it will be all the main figures who, who are in there largely uh, and are remaining at the club currently will be there, maybe with the exception of, of Aaron's and, and Campwell and then, of course, Ollie Skip um, in, in the background as well. So um, I, I wouldn't expect too much beyond kind of the fringes getting tidied up a little bit, which obviously we've we've spoken about at the top end of the, of the pod. Welcome to the new normal. Hello and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Right, well, let's finish with a bit of Euros chat from, with, a, with a Norwich slant. And of course, that England game now Saturday night, quarterfinals against Ukraine. I'm particularly happy about that, as you boys know, because I'm on a stag uh, weekend and one of my uh, best mates is extremely pleased that, that his stag is going to coincide with a sort of feast of Euros quarterfinals football, let alone England on the Saturday night. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to what could be a bit of a bit of an epic weekend, but we shall see. Um, Pad, let's kick off with Tim Krull, who put uh, a couple of tweets slash Instagram posts out, didn't he, that uh, I think if you read in between the lines, um, well, maybe you don't even need to read between the lines. He came across as pretty frustrated, didn't he? And Frank De Boer has subsequently been dismissed after Holland were knocked out by the Czech Republic. And feels like um, things can't have been too happy behind the scenes there. I mean, from the very start, once Jasper Sillerson was was ruled out, that seemed to be quite controversial because Sillerson didn't know why a positive COVID test meant that he had to be left out of the squad completely because that didn't happen in with other nations' squads, did it? And then all of a sudden, despite Krull having played, I think it was six of the last seven games, Stekelenberg gets the, the nod ahead of him. So I think Tim's got fairly good reason to be a bit frustrated with how it worked out. Yeah, I think you're being diplomatic there. I'd imagine he'll, he will privately be absolutely raging. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't see the game, but there was talk about uh, they played Scotland, didn't they, in a friendly? Was it Gibraltar? And yeah. I don't know he, had his best, he didn't have his best game. And was it Turkey game as well? He got beaten a couple of times from long range. But yeah. um, surely you can't place too much store by, by a pre-tournament friendly. So I'd be amazed why... Um, and I can't really offer an opinion on Stecklenburg. I haven't followed his, his path this past season, but... Um, given Krull was his go-to when Sillerson wasn't available prior to, played in those Nations League games that I recall, um, some of those pre-Euro qualifying games as well. Um, I don't know, but it probably, it probably cuts to the heart of what looked a very, very sort of, well, very typically Dutch, actually, type of tournament where they've got all this talent, even without a Van Dijk, for example, and um, and the guy in charge just can't seem to to bring them all together as one unit and... and um, and really maximise the talent they had at their disposal. Uh, some of those players are, are excellent players, but 
you know, the, the game against the Czechs, they were all over the shop, really, weren't they, that day? So, um, yeah, just a, a very unhappy tournament for them and, and for that man on a personal level. Uh, and, and it will be because we know often he talked about um, his dream was to get back in the hall and set up and to play at a major tournament. And this one particularly, because all the group ties were in Amsterdam, he talked about that as well, you know, effectively playing the Euros at home. Um, and unfortunately, he was, he was sat there watching it like the rest of us. But I haven't followed subsequently, but I'd be amazed if the ball keeps his job. And if he doesn't, then the new man will come in. And of course, the cycle they're in now, it's only two years, well, less than, isn't it, to, to the next World Cup in Qatar. So although he's the other side of 30, I would still think, and of course, Sillison will come back into the equation. But now Tim Krul is in the Premier League with Norwich and the, the visibility and the profile you get from playing in the Premier League. Um, he will probably feel, if I just keep my head down, bide my time, there'll be a replacement for De Boer and then very soon you're into a World Cup and, uh, you know, we, we, he showed previously what he did at the World Cup. So I'm, I'm, I would imagine he's hoping for, you know, a little bit better the next time a major tournament comes around. But, uh, yeah, hugely, hugely sad, really, because uh, anybody who's seen him in, in Norwich colours in the last two or three seasons, um, I think you would think he probably should have been Holland's number one if Sillison was ruled out, which he was. So, um, yeah, just... Just uh, one of those, as Tim Krull's career has, has, has shown, you know, you get your ups and downs in your career. He's had the highs at Newcastle and then terrible injury, which was actually on Holland duty, wasn't it, in a Euro qualifier, I think, on a plastic yeah. pitch where he did a bad knee injury. That effectively ended his career at Newcastle. Uh, Benitez, I think, had made the choice that or made the decision. He was essentially washed up and he had to rebuild his career and Norwich have given him that platform. He's come again. He's back in the Premier League. He's in the Holland mix, but... You know, I'd imagine if you're Tim Krull, given some of the dark places you've been in your career, you'll be able to package this latest frustration and see it for what it is and then know that there's round the corner a World Cup. So, you know, let's just hope he comes back, performs as we know he can, as he did in the last time in the Premier League for Norwich, where he was head and shoulders their best player over the season. Uh, if he does that, he'll be still in and around that Holland squad. Yeah, from a Norwich point of view, hopefully it adds fuel to the fire, doesn't it? He's got Angus Gunn now uh, for competition. He's back in the Premier League. If he wants to be in that World Cup squad, he really needs to have a good season, doesn't he? So he he's going to be pretty fired up for things, uh, I'd imagine. But you think uh, while you were talking there, Pat, I was just thinking, really, it, all the sort of talk about the Euros beforehand, and obviously that was elevated by the fact it was postponed for a year and that Puki in particular had to wait for this big moment. And then the Norwich players involved, you had Krulls just sat on the bench the whole time, a bit controversially. Puki, they finished bottom of the group. He had, I think, one shot on target. They almost were involved in what was the biggest story in the world when Christian Eriksen collapsed on the pitch and, and thankfully recovered and, and, you know, his life was saved on the pitch and stuff. But you know, it did not go how Finland were, were dreaming, did it, the Euros? Poeta gets one brief opportunity and doesn't track his man as Sweden beat Poland in the crucial game and has been getting a lot of criticism, I think, in Poland for that um, brief experience. And Grant Hanley, he had a nil-nil against England to, to celebrate, um, but otherwise finished it injured and it's going to affect his pre-season. So, there's going to be a lot of Norwich fans who don't care about international football or, or how the City players get on who are going to just think, well, I wish it hadn't happened, <laughs> to be quite frank. But, Connor, if I come to you on Poeta to start with, that I'm not really sure what he was doing in that Sweden game. He just sort of watched the guy that scored the goal run into the box, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... Um... Yeah, it was unfortunate, wasn't it? It's it's been a, I think it's been a tough year for him, to be honest, um, mm. since that Norwich move. And and again, this is kind of the interesting point about 
Rashita because he he looks maybe you would argue more like a, a natural direct winger compared to perhaps what Emi Buendia was where he, he likes to drift inside. Obviously, if he's on the opposite side, it, it makes it a bit different. But in terms of stylistically, and Pujeta really struggled um, with, with Norwich in that system. And I think Norwich really struggled to work out how best to deploy him as well. So it's it's not been a particularly great year for him. But equally, he's, he's made his, his senior international debut uh, and, and hopefully there is something that we haven't seen yet that will come and, and, and he can thrive at Norwich. But um, yeah, it's to me, doesn't seem like one that maybe is is heading for regular Premier League football um, or certainly at, at the moment. And you mentioned that backlash, regular international football either. I think there was probably a lot to prove for him there. And hopefully he can find some form and get himself back in that sort of international reckoning. But yeah, it was um, it was a costly error, and um, yeah, I'm sure that he will he'll regret that. And it's it's going to be really interesting to see where or which direction or how uh, he, he kind of revives his Norwich career. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do with him this summer. I think. Yeah, I agree because they obviously saw something in him, and I don't think they'll want to just you know maybe maybe alone or something like that. But I don't think they'll just want to give up on him completely after after 12 months. They obviously thought there was a, a good bit of potential in the tank there. And yeah, I mean, he did set up a chance as well. Um, after he came on, um, they equalised and they, he wasn't involved in the goal, but he did set up a chance for which could have been a winner. So um, strange. But after his season with Norwich, I think there was plenty of surprise that he was even in the squad. If you frame it in Norwich um, perspective, he's only the seventh player to represent the club at the European Championship. So that's Wes and Robbie Brady um, at Euro 2016, Kyle Lafferty and Martin Olsen as well. And then obviously the lads involved this time. And for for a guy who's not been frontline at Norwich at all, and and that really hasn't done much yet to be in that group is, although I suppose he is alongside Kyle Lafferty, um, is a bit bit strange, isn't it? Really, but um, that will be really interesting to see um, how he develops. Um, the the last thing I just wanted to mention as well to keep an eye out for Onel Hernandez is in. Uh, international action as well. Cuba play at French Guiana, which is 12 a.m. Saturday morning, our time. So it's Friday evening and it's been played in Florida at Fort Lauderdale. It's the stadium where David Beckham's MLS franchise into Miami play. So that's a qualifier. Um, if they win that, they'll have another qualifier. And if they do uh, win those, then they'll get into the Gold Cup and they'll be in Mexico's group, I think it is. So um, that would basically potentially rule O'Neill out of pretty much all of pre-season, although he would be playing competitive games at a pretty high profile level. So um, that's one to keep an eye on as well. And we'll, we'll let you know how he gets on over the weekend. But for now... Thank you, boys, very much. I think that'll do. I think we've covered just about everything. There's loads going on. It's not a quiet summer. It's not these days. It's not for sports journalists. You don't just put your feet up and watch the cricket over the summer months, do you? But, Pad, did you ever have to cover any cricket earlier in your earlier oh, in your career? I was often at Manor Park, mate, home of Norfolk yeah. County Cricket Club. The festival used to like that, yeah. Apart from the day uh, we decided we was going to we know what it's like in our in our environment. Uh, the move towards digital, and we uh, somebody some bright spark thought it'd be a good uh, good idea to for me to do ball by ball live blog like we do on a match day at Norwich City games coverage. So for three days, I couldn't basically move, which isn't great the length of a cricket match. So outside, obviously lunch and tea, but uh, yeah, if I'm honest, it was a nice used to be a nice jolly. You'd go and you'd file uh, 500 words for the paper at the end of the. The other day, so uh, suntan, beautiful weather, ice cream. Who doesn't want to cover that? But uh, 
No, that was that was the that was the day I decided cricket reportage wasn't for me. Really, when I was asked to do ball by ball coverage, no, thank you. Yeah, I've always felt like my career because I started in journalism in two thousand and eight. I I've sort of saw have seen the uh, sort of the ends of the old ways of doing things and and the way things had always been for a long time with the introduction of new technology and now the way we do business is obviously very different to, to how it was 10 years ago. So um, yeah, football's just massive now, isn't it? It's kind of all encompassing. It's just the biggest show in town. And as we know, even covering Norwich city. So um, I'm sure it's exactly the same at all the, all the local papers around the country, particularly when you've got, you know, if you're covering a massive club like Leeds or, or whatever, what, what about cricket with you, Connor? You're you a cricket man. Yeah, I, I, I do like it. Um, I don't watch probably as much of it as I, I'd like, to be honest. Um, certainly I don't get through five days of a test match or whatever, but I mean, if it's on, I'll sit down and watch it. I'll tell you a sport I have been getting into at the minute, which is um, Australian rules. I don't know if you guys have ever seen right. that. It's, um, it's, a, it's it's on BT Sport usually relatively early in the mornings. And it's what it is essentially is um, a, kind of an organised punch up on a cricket, on a cricket pitch is basically what it is. Um, and there's, there's kind of, it's a mix between kind of rugby and um, maybe football to an extent, but just a very unique game. It's well worth a watch. Uh, that's 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 been fairly entertaining for me over these over these summer months. Of course, it's their winter sport over there, but um, plenty of plenty of um, sort of good moments and, and and good stuff to watch in that. Even if you don't really understand what's going on, which I don't. Who's, who's yeah. your team? CS. Who's your team? Geelong. Uh, there is there is a team in yellow and green, but I forget their name. I'll be honest. So I, it was kind of going for them. Um, Thank you. Know what, there's, there's a player and I can't remember his name that is an absolute dead ringer for Moritz Leitner. Um, I, th- I think it might be Dustin something, um, but yeah, I might, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. But not really have a, I don't really have a team yet. I just know there's one in yellow and green that I've kind of gravitated towards rel- relatively naturally. But yeah, beyond that, it's um, it's been kind of uh, just kind of enjoying the games to be honest. I think, sorry, Dave, I'm just going to say we've offended any, if we do have any, and I'm sure we do, Australian yeah. slash viewers, we've offended them. We better apologise. <laughs> it's got to be Gold Coast something if they're yellow and green, I'd have thought. Probably. Probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all about the rugby for me at the moment. Ho- hopefully, if it actually goes ahead, the Lions tour, because South Africa have been in isolation and stuff, haven't they? But, um, yeah, I always enjoy the Lions tour, so let's hope they go ahead. No no Young's brothers in at this time, but there is a Norfolk connection, isn't there? There always is. Ali Price, who uh, plays up in, in Scotland for his club career. He was raised in uh, in the Kingsland area. So, um, yeah, there's always an awful link. But that'll do it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Pinkin.com, of course, the place to go for all the latest Norwich City news and views. We also come to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And don't forget, Friday, Window Watch, 1pm, we'll pick through all the latest transfer news and views there. Thanks for listening.